0: The ATO, just by their their moves this week, are showing how important that investment strategy is. So in their letter that went out to the trustees with single assets or high bias, they have specifically asked the members to review their investment strategy, have it in writing, and put it on file with the auditor because they will be requesting it from the auditor.
1: You are listening to Australia's Tax News Podcast, Tax Talks. The podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 185 of Tax Talks. This is Heidi Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. In early September 2019, 17,000 SMSF trustees received a letter from the ATO with love. And in this letter, the ATO writes, start of quote... Our records indicate that your SMSF investment strategy may hold 90% or more of its funds in one asset or a single asset class. This means that your fund may be at risk of not meeting the diversification requirement as outlined in the SIS regulations. As a trustee, you are ultimately responsible for ensuring your investment strategy meets the requirements under the law. End of quote. So this is still quite nice and friendly. But then, of course, the ADO can't help itself and has to get the big stick out. Maybe they were worried about not being taken seriously. So they continue with the following start of quote. You could also be liable for an administrative penalty of $4,200 if your investment strategy fails to meet these requirements. End of quote. And then the ATO gets another big stick out and gets the auditors involved. And so the ATO concludes its letter with this, start of quote. We will also be writing directly to the auditor of your fund to notify them of our concerns. You should be aware that if your auditor identifies that you have failed to rectify any non-compliance with the requirements listed above, this could result in the imposition of the above mentioned penalties. End of quote. So, if you or your clients have bulky assets within an SMSF, you will probably hear from your auditor. So, the question is if done right, what should an SMSF investment strategy do or not do? What should it look like? This is the question I asked Liam Short of Arante in Castle Hill. find that most people hold their wealth within an SMSF or do you find that most people hold their wealth outside of an SMSF? Of course always putting the family home aside because of course the family home is people's first most important asset.
0: That's basically a generational thing so people over 70 who didn't have access to the super guarantee for most of their working life they tend to have built up a a portfolio outside of superannuation and they may have they have a fairly reasonable superannuation account as well with people from 50 to 70 they've they again didn't have superannuation all the time so they've built up investment properties uh, superannuation portfolios maybe some managed funds but they have a much larger component inside superannuation The next generation that's coming, those under 50, are now setting up self-managed super funds. It is their primary wealth outside of their home. Because of their mortgage outside the home, they just can't afford to build a suitable wealth outside. So they're using their superannuation as their main wealth-building tool going forward. In the other
1: 70s and also maybe not the 50s to 70s, but the 60s to 70s, they had the huge advantage that they had 10, 20 years of super without any caps, I think there was a time when you could just move as much as you like into super and so therefore giving them a chance to build an enormous balance in super.
0: Exactly. There were some years where you could put a hundred thousand dollars in concessionally to get the tax deductions. And um, that was reduced to fifty, then reduced to thirty and thirty-five, and now down to twenty-five. But those people who took advantage of the period where you could put up to a hundred thousand in and get a tax deduction, and then of course the two thousand six, two thousand seven, they had the opportunity to put a million non concessional in under Peter Costello's budget. So it has been an opportunity for them to build big balances.
1: That's how they got to SMSFs of 30, 40 million.
0: Yes, because a lot of them also took very big risks on investments or invested in areas where they had expertise, like commercial property or new stocks that were coming on where they had good knowledge of the area, especially from engineers and specialist investors. So yes, some of them have managed to build up huge portfolios.
1: do we need an investment strategy? And I would try to avoid that word because I can't pronounce it.
0: (laughs) It's basically a requirement under superannuation laws that before you start making any investments in your fund that you have an investment strategy in place and it must consider your investment objectives and specify some targets around what you're comfortable investing in for the members. And the level of exposure to each of the sectors, you need to review that then on a regular period to make sure that you take into account any change in personal circumstances, the market changes, and also consider any changing needs of the members in terms of insurance needs. For example, many SMSFs for the last 10, 12 years have had over 30% allocation to term deposits when you could get you know 45 to 6% on a term deposit, but now the rates are dropping below 2%, trustees need to reconsider that strategy um, and look at their exposure or tolerance to taking on more risk. Does it actually help you make better investment decisions? I believe it does because it gets you to focus on what, what's your actual objective, what are you trying to achieve. So you'll you'll get a lot of people who just want to invest in Australian shares and they want to try and pick the best shares. and. You then ask them, well, what are you trying to achieve? Are you trying to achieve a, an income in retirement? In that case, you need a steady return from dividends. So you need to look for a mixture of assets that will provide the income that you require. You, know, you have some people who will invest in a residential property in their self funded super fund and say, well, that's my retirement goal. But if it's only going to return 2 to 3% net income in retirement, it's not going to be enough to meet your annual needs. So by having an investment strategy in place, you've got to look at you know the criteria that you need to look at are the, the liquidity needs of the fund in terms of benefit payments, fees and taxes, diversification. You now, for example, the ATO just the first week of September have sent out a letter to over 17,000 trustees and their auditors about whether they're adequately diversified, mentioning that there is a fine for not looking at the diversification needs of the fund. Then you also need to look at the risk tolerance of all the members in the fund. So you will often find that there's one person that's strong in running the fund. An investment strategy makes them sit down and and think about the needs of the other members as well and that they are also comfortable with the characteristics of the assets that the main person wants to add into the, the portfolio.
1: I think in the past, in some of your articles, you mentioned six criteria to consider when writing a strategy. And I think the first three are diversification Liquidity needs, risk tolerance, but what are the other three?
0: Things like avoiding sector bias or, you know, a bias to property or a bias to the big banks and the Woolworths. Then looking at things like tax efficiency. You know, what stage are you in 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 accumulation If you're going to be trading and uh, moving shares in and out of the portfolio, then you're going to be hit with capital gains tax. Whereas in pension phase, because it's capital gains tax exempt, there is no problem with buying and selling shares. It works in, in your favor that when you're looking at your investment strategy, you can say, I can make moves during the year when I'm in pension phase because there are no CGT events. Whereas in accumulation phase, you have to be a little bit more careful about chopping and changing all over the place. After that, then you also need to look at the insurance needs of the members. It's now compulsory since 2012 that the trustees must regularly review the insurance needs of each member of the fund. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they have to get insurance. They just must look at the needs of the, the member, see what insurances they have in place. And if possible or if needed, fill in some of those gaps by having covered through a superannuation fund.
1: Okay, good. So now you have got the six criteria to consider when writing the strategy. It's diversification, liquidity, risk, sector bias, tax efficiency and insurance needs. Yes. How does investing within an SMSF differ from investing outside of an
0: SMSF? people when they're investing outside, it's it's for a, a target or a goal like going on an overseas holiday or upgrading their house or buying a new car. They're putting money away for more shorter to medium term needs. With an SMSF, in a lot of cases, people are not going to be able to touch it for 30 or 40 years. Mm-hmm. So when they're very young, they need to look much longer term and maybe not hold so much in, in cash. Then as they approach retirement, they need to start thinking about how they're going to deliver on that income that they will require in, in retirement. So it's it's moving from longer-term investing to medium-term and then addressing the short-term, but still making sure that you allow for the fact that life expectancy-wise you could be living to 85, 87 or beyond. And it's a long time in retirement from 65.
1: You mentioned before the letter from the ATO is stressing the need to diversify. But why... Do we need to diversify? Is it to increase returns or to mitigate risk?
0: Look, it's best practice in terms of mitigating risk, but it's also, I think what the ATO are trying to do is identify people who've been missold or put into investments that they're not really aware of, you know, how much exposure to have to just one asset. I think it's on the back of their clampdown on one-stop shops and off-the-plan property investments. But it's not a bad thing for to ask the trustees to explain why they're invested in, or the bias just towards one area. Now, if the trustees, you know, can come back with a valid argument that, you know, I've got one client at the moment who's got two commercial properties in the, in the fund. They provide very decent return and building up their retirement income. And in retirement, they'll have a very steady income uh, coming from them. They may sell down one to increase the liquidity, so that they're looking at their plans and their needs going forward. But in the in the short term, they trust commercial property, it benefits their business and themselves, and it works for them.
1: What asset classes should a strategy cover? Is it possible to even
0: comment on that? Yeah, I've got no problem with that. Uh, Look, 20 years ago, a lot of SMSFs would have the four banks, Telstra, BHP, Woolworths and Term Deposits, uh, or they may have a property. Things have changed. Since the GFC, we've seen the clear benefits of having exposure to overseas assets in growth sectors like IT healthcare, social media, just sectors that are not available in Australia. Likewise, the last year's allocations to bond funds have provided surprising, you know, really strong returns and the benefit of diversification while, while share markets and term deposits have really struggled.
1: But don't you think SMSFs are still surprisingly heavily invested in the top 10 or 20 shares? I remember doing an interview with Class about the benchmark report And there it it was something like 50 or 60 or 70 percent of SMSFs on class held shares in Telstra and BHP
0: things are changing fairly quickly because of the the rise in um, ETFs and the, the ability to access them off-platform, which a lot of SMSFs are off-platform. It's giving people that ability to diversify, and SMSFs seem to be embracing it. The rise of international managers like Magellan and Platinum and the diversification offered by Vanguard, that's really attractive to SMSFs because the investors want to know who they're investing with and how they're invested, and they want a simple solution that's transparent and they can understand it. If they're using an ETF, they know they're just getting a basket of the index. If they're using someone like Magellan, they can read up and see their regular reports on their, you know, their strategy and their philosophy. So people grow in confidence when they see the longer term steady returns from investments like that and that helps them to step away from those top 10 shares.
1: Are ETFs a good way to diversify?
0: Certainly for to add a core to a portfolio, you know, to, to be able to bring in an exposure of the you know the top 100 global stocks, the Australian top 200 stocks and just have that core exposure again to fixed interest which a lot of SMSFs don't understand bonds and fixed interest funds. So to be able to have an ETF with a a core holding that somebody else is managing, or even an LIC that manages fixed interest. It's it's an area that trustees themselves are not strong in, and they can find a low-cost way of accessing those sectors without having to have the professional knowledge themselves.
1: There are a lot of providers of managed funds, etc., thousands probably, But there are actually not that many providers of ETFs. I think there are just a handful or so, isn't there? I think there's Magellan, there's Vanguard, there's iShares, I think there's BetaShares. Am I right? Are these providers of ETFs?
0: Yeah, but yeah, you know, some of those are, are huge worldwide um, names. Vanguard and iShares, which is part of BlackRock, and BetaShares, they're, they're big players and they've got good range of ETFs available. There are smaller players out there as well. ETF Securities, um, Vanek. So it's a growing area. In America, there are thousands upon thousands of ETFs available. We don't want to get to that stage. I think the Australian market, we need... Because we're not such a big market, we need access to ETFs that have got liquidity, that they can build up a good following and that we can get in and out of as we need rather than going into single sector ETFs or you know, ETFs that may find in difficult times they're hard to get out of. So people need to understand the provider, the liquidity and exactly and the tax consequences of each product that they're going into.
1: So to achieve diversification... Don't go for a niche ETF. Go for an ETF that covers a big enough market.
0: Yeah, because, you you know, if you can get a core widespread, broad exposure, that's when you can then add on top of that your own your own bias to Australian shares or direct property or to term deposits, whatever. You can build that around it. So we call it a core and satellite approach. So have the broad exposure first and then add you know your own biases and your own niches around that.
1: Is it enough to just diversify across asset classes within Australia or do you think it's also important to stretch out beyond Australia and have a more international exposure?
0: I think at the present time, it, it is really important to have that international exposure as well. Fortunately, but unfortunately, Australia hasn't had a recession in such a long time that people have got used to getting you know 4.5% dividends and good capital growth on their investments, decent returns on term deposits and property. At the moment, you know, our economy is under pressure. And I think you will find that we have to get used to lower returns for longer. And part of that will be trying to manage the risk by having exposure in all different sectors, international and Australian, in order to to try and grab some returns from different areas at different times during the volatility that we're we're likely to see. You mentioned returns.
1: What asset returns should an SMSF aim for at what stage?
0: Look, while well, while people are younger and in accumulation phase, they can take more risk, and that there's actually more risk in holding cash when you've got 20 or 30 years to retirement, because cash over a 10-year period has always been shown to underperform shares and property. So while you're younger, they need to be be taking that extra risk, the growth or high growth option. Or in terms of an SMSF, you're looking at 80 to 90% exposure to shares and property and uh, infrastructure. And then as you get near to retirement, you have to allow for the fact that you may have a, an involuntary retirement where you're, you're ill, you may be made redundant, or you may have a family member who's ill and that forces you to, to leave work earlier. So you need to have some liquidity built in there. And that's where you step back and, and take a bit of less of a return in return for having more liquidity. So when somebody gets above 55, you're basically looking at moving more toward from a balanced Asset allocation of about 75% Australian shares and property to about 50% as you get towards the 60 mark. So that you'll always have five to six years of your pension payments available in cash and fixed interest. So in order to do that, you're looking at a return, a net return, I believe going forward of, of around four and a half to five and a half percent. It may not sound attractive to people, but in a low inflation, low growth, low GDP era, that's going to be the, the norm going forward.
1: Yes, I don't think 45 to 5.5% return is a shoe-in. That's already a good investment if you can get that. What is a good return? If, let's say somebody is 40 years old, just started their SMSF. What would
0: be a good return for them? Again, that depends on the economic market at the time, but over the long term, they should be looking at you know a seven and a half to eight and a half percent return net if you look back at the you know the last 50 60 years um, over a ten-year period you're looking at a seven and a half to eight percent return from both you know a share portfolio or a property portfolio that where it's mostly you know growth orientated so yes they, they should be really looking. and the beauty of compounding then on on that is where you may you build your wealth seven to eight percent that's very good it is but While you're young, while you can't access the the superannuation until you meet a condition of release, that's when you need to be taking the risk, not when you get closer to retirement. You want to be able to dial down the risk as you get closer to retirement. So you take those additional risks younger, you know, and I'm talking 50%, you know, domestic and 50% international exposure or, you know, with very little cash holdings.
1: Which asset usually give a higher risk and hence a higher return and which asset's Give a lower risk and hence a lower return.
0: Traditionally, cash and term deposits are the lowest returns long term. Then, when you get out to domestic shares, international shares, and property, and it just depends on the the sector. But over the longer term, each of those tend to be around the percent return over a 10-year period, as long as you growth-oriented assets where you've got a mixture of income and growth as the economy grows over time, they will normally return that 7 to 8% return.
1: During accumulation, there is very little strain on liquidity, but as the member moves into pension phase, there's suddenly a huge swing to the need for liquidity, correct?
0: There is a huge need for liquidity, but you also got to look at the long-term needs, you know, how long you're going to have to fund that annual pension. So you can't go totally to, you know, to chasing yield. A lot of people struggle with the idea of, of holding international assets that don't pay much in terms of distributions, but they've got to get in, into their minds that once you're in pension phase, you can be CGT agnostic. You don't have to worry about capital gains tax. So when you look at an international fund that's returning 10% growth, and that's the reason why you must be reviewing your portfolio is that you've got to take your profits. So because you're not going to get regular distributions from an international fund, or not high ones, that's where you need to say, I've got a fund that's doing really well. You know, let's say a Magellan fund that's produced over 10% a year for five or 10 years, that you take some of the cream off the top, take some of those profits, and put that into your income bucket for a couple of years. So the whole idea is understanding, yes, I need to deliver income, and understand where that income can come from. It doesn't just have to come from interest and in distributions. It can come from selling down some of the profits as well.
1: You mentioned the Magellan fund and how a fictitious Magellan fund might have performed over the past ten years. Is the past a good indication of how the fund will perform in the future?
0: You can never be certain, but it's more about the philosophy of the manager and okay. building trust. So, if somebody's going from Picking individual shares themselves to trusting somebody else. A good record is to, to look at the stability and the the ability in the past to deliver on their on their philosophy over times. You know, through the bad times and the good times. Look at how a fund manager performed during a downturn, and then you know try and pick one that suits your needs. I keep on mentioning Magellan just because they do a really good job of explaining to people that their core philosophy is capital preservation. And after that, they're just looking for best ideas for the future. I blend them then with a, with a Vanguard that gives the basic index exposure. And that way you control the fees. You can add your own direct holdings on top of it and have a well-diversified portfolio without you know, paying too much for it.
1: think of the strategy that many professionals pursue you know lawyers accountants doctors etc to buy the business property from themselves as the member hold the business property within the fund and then to lease it back to the business. What do you think of that quite common strategy? It
0: depends on each business. So it's, it's often an excellent strategy for a growing business that wants security of tenure, that has good income coming into the business. It helps them to minimize the drawdown on the business's available equity because they want that equity to be used in, in actually growing the business, not just in, in holding a property. So cash flow-wise, it, it's smarter to have their SMSF on the property commercial properties and industrial properties pay a very good rate of return income-wise, and it's very steady. So it gives you the security of tenure, of knowing that you you can work with the property and improve the property and not be subject to a landlord not renewing a lease in five years' time. So it does work for a lot of people, and we've often used it as part of a business succession strategy as well, where the parents' super fund owns the business premises, They lease it back to the business, so the children only have to buy the business off the parents, not the business and the property. So it gives a nice steady return to the parents in retirement, and it gives the security of tenure to the business going forward.
1: If there's not enough cash in the SMSF, but the members want to buy a property, They have several options. One is not to buy the property, but the other option is to do a joint investment between the SMSF and the member or to do an LRBA. Do you have a preference between joint investment and LRBA? Do you tend to lean towards the one or the other?
0: Look, the first thing I'd say, this is not a strategy to use for a struggling business. Do not try to keep a business afloat by using your super. It's the one asset that is protected from bankruptcy and should never be sacrificed if the business is under pressure and you don't want to be left without an income from the business and the property is super vacant. So it's not to be used if your business is in trouble. But then if you are looking to to buy it, and your super fund doesn't hold enough money, my preference is actually to use an LRBA. If you can't borrow from the bank to actually use a related party LRBA because... You want to capture as much of the income and the growth inside the SMSF where it's concessionally taxed rather than having it in partnership with yourself outside where you may already be on a high marginal tax rate and the last thing you want to be doing is adding more income to that um, to that tax position. So they're all valid options but preferably you want as much of the ownership as possible inside the super fund so that you can benefit from you know, the 15% or 0% tax in pension phase.
1: Yes, and an LRBA is probably also just cleaner. It's one document, you set it up once, and then it just takes its course. Whereas if you do a joint investment and then contribute further tranches of the property over time, it's just messy. You constantly have to deal with land title, register, stamp duty possible CGT implications etc so an LRBA is probably also just a lot more clean and yeah
0: straightforward. Yeah you've mentioned all the points like and you've got to bear in mind the cost of doing the valuations each time you move some of the ownership you know if you've done it through a unit trust and you're shifting the ownership to the SMSF the cost of those valuations every time can be can be fairly extreme especially on commercial and industrial properties.
1: What insurance should an SMSF hold within a fund?
0: Depending on the member's needs, their health circumstances, um, ideally life and TPD insurance that where the benefit is meant to go for the member in terms of TPD or you know, death benefits in terms of financial dependence. It's suitable then to hold a true super in an SMSF where you can get a 15% tax deduction on the premiums and that it can go tax effectively to financial dependence. If it's going to non-dependence or it's intended to go to non-dependence, then it's possibly not the best option to hold a true superannuation. The other thing is when you look at something like your income protection cover, which a lot of people have it through their retail or industry fund, you've got to remember that it's a very restricted cover that's allowed within superannuation. It's restricted to any occupation and there are other benefits that aren't available. So more and more what we're seeing now is what they call superlinked policies, where the basic cover is placed through the SMSF, but better cover and ancillary benefits are placed through a, a personal retail policy that's linked to the same the same cover. So an example would be where you'd have an income protection policy, any occupation, which is a, is the base cover through the SMSF, and then a known occupation extension via Superlink policy paid from your personal funds. That gives you the, the best of the best, controls the costs, and has the, the ownership in the right place at the right time.
1: With respect to the investment strategy of an SMSF, how common is it to have a financial advisor involved and what does the financial advisor do when they are involved?
0: I think more and more you're, you're seeing the advisors playing an important role in setting up funds rather than traditionally it was the accountants who were recommending it. And unfortunately, you know, in a lot of cases, people were just handed a pro forma investment strategy The ATO, just by their their moves this week, are showing how important that investment strategy is. So in their letter that went out to the the trustees with with single assets or a high bias, they have specifically asked the members to review their investment strategy, have it in writing and put it on file with the auditor because they will be requesting it from the auditor. So an advisor can help you and guide you on that asset allocation, the pros and cons of each exposure, They can also ensure that one member, I mentioned earlier, one member doesn't ignore the risk tolerance of other members, which is a very common issue. And then they hold you accountable to your objectives because any investor can get carried away. They have a few wins in one sector, and suddenly they start biasing their whole portfolio towards where they've had that one win, which may or may not have been because of their choice of investment. It may have just been luck. So Mm -hmm. they hold you accountable on both the objectives and the individual asset asset purchases.
1: So almost like a personal trainer, making sure you exercise and eat healthily.
0: Yes, and it's discipline. It's adding some discipline in there to review it. A lot of investors really struggle with taking profits and also struggle with selling losses. So you will find people that have held Telstra in their their fund for twenty years and they just keep on expecting it to rebound and or, or people who you've got AMP into their portfolio at twenty dollars and they've always been waiting for it to bounce back. In the meantime, they could have sold out of those positions, taken the losses and invested it into something that would provide a, a steady income or a steady return year upon year afterwards.
1: welcome back so your smsf investment strategy will receive a lot more scrutiny going forward in the next episode episode 186 liam short will go into some fundamental investing 101 until then thank you for listening and thank you to class for their support bye for now and see you in the next episode